This is an adult education podcast of Lanier Technical College. If you are a lawful resident of the state of Georgia and are interested in more free lessons to improve your English or prepare for your high school equivalency diploma, such as the GED or HiSET, please visit our website, www.laniertech.edu. Click on Adult Education and follow the instructions. And now for our lesson. Welcome to today's lesson on the U.S. economy. Our names are Elliot Hood, Judson Coffey, and Emma Callahan. Today we are going to be learning about the economy of the U.S. government, how the U.S. government interacts with the economy, and how exactly the U.S. compares to other countries. What do you know about the economy in the United States? It can be hard to learn all the aspects of the U.S. economy and understand them all. We are here to help better your understanding of specific parts of the economy, including how the government and the economy interact, where the U.S. falls on the spectrum in terms of capitalism, socialism, etc., and the American economy. You will learn the importance of all these learning points and hopefully grow your knowledge on the economy in the United States and the impact it has on our everyday lives. The content in which we are about to go over is very practical for your knowledge today, no matter what industry you work in or are pursuing to work in. Everyone needs to have knowledge of how the economy works and more specifically, how the U.S. economy operates. Today we will discuss the U.S. economy in general to provide you with basic information, what kind of economy it is, and where it falls on the spectrum between capitalism and socialism to help provide you with a visual on where the economy stands compared with the rest of the world. And I will begin by discussing where the U.S. economy falls on the spectrum. The U.S. economy is a unique and world-leading system. The United States is a highly developed free market economy. A market economy is an economic system where the attention on investment, production, and distribution is guided by price, which is set forth by two factors of supply and demand. Supply represents how readily available something is for the market, usually determined by how much it costs to make and how many resources are available for it. Demand is determined simply by how much order there is for a particular item or service. A good example can be that of a Christmas tree. During the months of November and December, there is a seasonal increase in demand for Christmas trees so people can set them up in their houses for the holidays. As the supply of Christmas trees are more readily available in the market for the average consumer, the price also goes up, and as a result, the overall quantity and price mirror each other and are at an all-time high during these two months. The other 10 months out of the year, the demand for Christmas trees is nowhere near the level where it was once at. The supply of Christmas trees in the market for the average consumer decreases dramatically because of the decreased demand for trees. Now discussing the U.S. economy on how it falls along the spectrum between capitalism and communism or socialism is an interesting subject. For much of the history of our relatively still young country, Capitalism is the main type of economy that most Americans would identify it as. However, the U.S. economy is not purely a capitalistic economy. It is, in fact, a mixed economy, meaning that it falls at a certain point between capitalism and socialism. That point mainly fluctuates depending on political leadership on the local, state, and federal level. While the general point of the entire U.S. economy is at a certain spot, that does not mean that it is at the same in every location in the United States. 
For instance, the standard of living, tax rate, political climate, etc., in Los Angeles, California, is going to be vastly different from that of a small town in the middle of South Georgia. A mixed economy, by definition, is an economic system in which there are combined aspects of both capitalism and socialism, as briefly as previously mentioned. This type of economy allows for the economic freedom to create as much capital as possible, but, and depending on political situations, there is a certain amount of government intrusion. A good example of a period in which there was little government intrusion in the economy is during the 1800s when the steel business owned by Andrew Carnegie and John D. Rockefeller Standard Oil Company. These two businesses were absolutely thriving during this time period and the two men had created empires that owned their entire industries. It was going very well for them for a while until the U.S. government decided to intervene with the Sherman Antitrust Act in 1890. This act dissolved how much power and control the companies had in their respective industries. What was once a period of little to no government intrusion turned into a period with a plethora of it. To give you a more numerical ranking of where the U.S. ranks on the most capitalistic economies ranking, the U.S., as probably to your surprise, actually does not even make the top 10 of this list. At the top of the list is Singapore with the United Kingdom at 7th and Canada at 9th. This list was provided by the Heritage Index of Economic Freedom for the year 2021. However, the Fraser Institute compiled a similar list in 2018 that included the U.S. in their top 10 coming at number 6. There are a few possible reasons for such a difference in a three-year period. One of the biggest being the coronavirus pandemic, although that was one factor in which the entire world was affected and not just the U.S. Another possible reason for this difference is because this was a time period in which the U.S. economy had fully healed and was thriving after recovering from the housing crash in 2009 that caused the U.S. to fall into a major recession. Another possible reason for the thriving economy at the time was because Donald J. Trump was in office as President of the United States. The vast majority of Trump's policies were focused specifically on boosting the U.S. economy by cutting taxes and regulations across the board. Overall, the U.S. economy is always going to be fluctuating along the spectrum of economic types depending on many factors. Historically, even though the U.S. has been a mixed economy, it has fallen much closer to the capitalistic side of the spectrum than the socialistic side. Now we're going to go over the American economy. In every economic system, entrepreneurs and managers bring together natural resources, labor, and technology to produce and distribute goods and services. But the way these different elements are organized and used also reflect a nation's political ideas and its culture. The United States was formally categorized as a capitalistic economy, meaning that there was a very small group of people who controlled large amounts of money made the most important economic decisions. This, however, did not last very long in the American society. It has now shifted to a more mixed society, meaning that we take into consideration the money aspect of the country, but also focus on the socialistic needs of the people. This approach has been very successful over the past few decades and continues to make America what it is today. We're going to talk about some main variables that keep the mixed economy stability afloat in the U.S. First is the use of natural resources. America is overflowing with fertile soil, temperate climates, which make crops easier to grow, access to multiple oceans, and many natural-made lakes. All of these resources have been put to use and are now being used to buy and sell goods that were made from them. 
The connecting oceans have made international trade possible and have made the United States economy boom with an overwhelming amount of goods being traded from country to country. International trade has grown the economy in more ways than one and has also tied the 50 states together by allowing trade between all of them. The second variable that really ties everything together is the amount of labor put into turning those natural resources into profit. The amount of people working as well as the amount of products being produced is what built the American economy and will continue to grow so long as we keep the numbers of laborers high and the products coming out. Now we know that the economy is a give and take type deal and the more we put in the work we will receive. Obviously, the ultimate goal is to keep a steady growing economy for years to come, which America has done. But there are also times where the U.S. could not produce employees or products simply due to the shortage of them. For instance, during World War I was a period that the economy struggled simply due to laborers having to go to war, money for the country being put into war funds to buy and sell weapons, and that resulted in the factories and workplaces being shut down, ultimately bringing down the economy. A mixed economy can be portrayed by many different people in many different ways. When Americans are electing their newest candidates for judges, state representatives, and most importantly the president, they have to consider how the economy will flourish or plummet if that person took over. The two main things Americans can consider is will the person I'm voting for stabilize our country and keep us strong if something were to go downhill. America is also described as a market economy, meaning that needs for goods come and go and so do buyers and sellers. The country runs on innovative thinkers who come up with bizarre materials for people to buy and sell, and they do. The only problem is that when the economy goes down, so does the market, meaning that there is no one buying or selling the goods produced, which leads to a failed business. The U.S. economy is one of the most successful in the world. It obtains this status by making decisions that better the economy day after day. Now we're going to talk about how the government interacts with the economy. Now, I do want to preface this by saying that, like Elliot mentioned, the U.S. is classified as a capitalistic economy. This means that the government is less involved than it is involved. And the government tries its best to adhere to this capitalistic ideology that states that the economy should be primarily controlled by the people. However, that does not mean it's not involved at all. The U.S. is capitalist, meaning small involvement, not anarchist, which means no involvement. The U.S. government interacts with the economy through two primary means, fiscal policies and monetary policies. Fiscal policy is the manipulation of tax policies and spending programs, and monetary policy is manipulating the amount of money in circulation. Now, fiscal policies are passed by Congress and the President, meaning that they are prioritized as political policies just as much as economic ones. Now, let's give some examples of what changing the tax policies can result in. If the taxes were to be raised, then money moves out of private businesses, resulting in businesses producing less products and us as consumers buying less products. This is called slowing the economy. On the opposite end, we have speeding up the economy, which is when taxes are lowered. This gives businesses and citizens more money to spend and invest, spurring the economy into growth. There's also the government spending too, which takes into account them funding things like medical research, military jobs, and education. This creates more jobs, and of course, cutting government spending has the opposite effect. And when you want to spur the economy, you're going to create more jobs, and when you want to slow the economy, you create less jobs. Then we have monetary policies. Monetary policy is when you change how much money is in circulation. This is controlled by the central bank, which in turn is controlled by the Federal Reserve System, which acts independently from Congress. 
Much like in fiscal policy, when there's money in circulation, the economy grows, and when it is not, the economy slows. Now, what's important to note here is that monetary policies don't just influence the amount of money that is being moved year to year, but how much money is present in the U.S. economy, meaning they also take into account people's bank accounts. And the Federal Reserve doesn't just raise or lower taxes like fiscal policies. Instead, the central bank influences the functioning of the banks in America. Now, let's first explain just how banks loan money to people and how exactly that process is used. If one were to walk into a bank and ask for a loan, be it because they need to make a large purchase of real estate, a business venture, what have you, then the bank would create a new account filled with money for which the borrower would be able to make deposits into until they have fully paid the bank back. Now, as with all loans, there is an interest rate, meaning the amount you owe increases with time based on how much the loan is. So if it takes you three months to pay off a $100 loan at a 20% interest rate, let's just assume that they just add to the principal each month, then you are going to end up paying, having to pay $160 by the end of the month. Now, that is a very high interest rate, and there are many different types of loans that we won't get into today. But I'm sure that you can understand that high interest rates aren't good for people who want to borrow. In fact, everyone knows just how impactful an interest rate can be if you're wanting to take out a loan. The manipulation of interest rates is monetary policy's primary tool to control the circulation of money. Since a bank essentially creates money when they loan it out, it's here that the federal bank chooses to tackle the money circulation. The Federal Reserve raises the interest rate if it wants to lower the circulation of money, as people are less encouraged to take out loans. They then lower the interest rates to add money to the circulation, as people are more encouraged to take out a loan. And these are the two styles of policies that the government uses to manipulate the economy. Now, we're going to go over some questions, starting with Elliot. Thank you. Question one, what would you classify the U.S. economy as? If you said a free market mixed economy, then you are right. Question two, even though the U.S. is a mixed economy, which side of the capitalistic, socialistic spectrum has the U.S. historically fallen on or at least been closer to the capitalistic side? Question three. What was the name of the law that broke up monopolies in the 1800s that were famously led by the likes of Andrew Carnegie and John Rockefeller? The Sherman Antitrust Act of 1890. What kind of economy is where the needs for goods come and go and so do buyers and sellers? Market economy. What are the two variables that really stabilize the U.S. economy? the use of natural resources and laborers. What kind of economy does America have? A mixed market economy. What is the difference between fiscal and monetary policy? Fiscal policy is the manipulation of tax policies and spending programs, and monetary policy is the manipulation of the amount of money in circulation. How would you speed up the economy if you were to utilize a fiscal policy? You would lower the tax rates. True or false, 
the Federal Reserve is controlled by Congress. False. The Federal Reserve acts independently from Congress. Now to summarize. The United States is a free market mixed economy in which it falls and moves along the economic spectrum depending on economic conditions and political leadership. Our country has been through periods of thriving economic prosperity in times in which there was a major depression across the board that put the country in a dark place. America has had the most stabilized economy out of all other competing countries. This continues to be achieved year after year by the people in the government that focus on the needs of the country and how the economy benefits from certain changes. The government does so through both monetary and fiscal policies. Thank you for listening, and we hope you have learned a little more about the economy and how it works. This concludes the lesson. Please make a note of the time, complete your log sheet, and turn your log in to your instructor at the end of the week. Then complete the follow-up activities assigned by your instructor or in your course module. This podcast has been a collaborative production of Lanier Technical College and the University of North Georgia.